Paranormal Truth and Reality with host Chris Houston. A show for those with a passion for the paranormal. And now, welcome to the show. Welcome to Paranormal Truth and Reality. I'm your host, Christopher Houston, and we're here with Tony Rathman and uh, his significant other, which is his partner. They actually are paranormal investigators. They run EntityVoices.com, and they also host Paranormal Evidence. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I've been meaning to get you guys on sooner. I had a busy schedule over 2018, though, so I'm kind of glad that uh, that we got you on here. So I guess we should probably just start at the beginning. What got you guys into the paranormal? Well, that's a funny story because I was, and this was about, what, Jerry, eight years ago? Correct. Um, I was a complete skeptic, and my wife was fascinated with many of the paranormal shows that played on television, and she'd always get me to sit down and watch them. But I would last about three minutes, and I would say to her, I can't sit through this. This isn't real. None of this is real. It's all just for ratings, and uh, none of it truly exists, and I'd walk away. Well, then one Valentine's Day came along, and Cherie said to me, normally we'd go to a resort. We'd sit around by the pool, enjoy each other's company. And she said, I want to do something different. I said, okay, what would you like to do? And she said, I want to go someplace haunted. So I thought, oh, no, <laughs> you know, how am I going to how am I going to find this? Well, I got online and happened to find a location in downtown Phoenix. And I booked a weekend there and I bought her some very yeah, inexpensive the haunted hospital in Phoenix. Actually. Hotel. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I bought her some cheap equipment. I bought her an EMF meter. Uh, digital recorder and a night vision camera. And she was thrilled to be able to go on this weekend and get to do her so-called investigating. And so we spent the weekend there and we investigated the nights that we stayed, but it wasn't until we got the, the camera, the pictures, the yeah. recordings home that she started going through them. And she was calling me over every three to five minutes. Tony, look at this. Look what's in this picture. Listen to this audio. I was absolutely shocked. I could not believe what was on there, and I could find no scientific reason for it or how it got there. And it completely, I think for what, a, like a month, mm -hmm. I was trying to still debunk it and figure out how it, how those particular aspects could have showed up, and I, I never could do it. And so that's what started it. And for the last eight years, we've just continued to grow out from hotels to historic sites to private home investigations to business investigations and it just it just grew over the last eight years from there well and i've had the great privilege of watching some of the work you guys have put together which is very well done by the way i mean it takes a lot of um, effort to figure out how to put together a good piece um, Thank you. especially on a timely manner uh, as well with all the investigations you guys go to and so forth. Trust me, I'm still going through 5,000 hours, and I just got 5,000 done after four months. So, <laughs> yeah. no, and, and I totally understand it. It does. It takes it takes a ton of time, and it takes a, a ton of dedication. But, but both my wife and I, it, it's our passion to do this, and so we enjoy it. And, yes, it, it it's a whole other job. 
Um, but it's it's a job we love, and it's it's uh, it's a learning experience every time we go out. Well, let's talk a little bit about your locations and uh, where you've been, and kind of some of your you know more interesting things that you'd like to share with the audience. Sure. Um, we started out, obviously, like I just said, at a so-called haunted hotel, which is, and that was the Hotel San Carlos in downtown Phoenix. And I think we've investigated that one, what? For, for, for 50 times. 50 so. times or more, right. Oh, that's that's where we began. But then we branched out. We, we've been to every haunted location in Arizona. Then we branched out into California. Um, California's got a ton of areas that... Uh, that have haunted locations. Um, Queen Mary was one of our favorites just because of the activity that we captured there. Um, we've been to the Bel Air house. We've been to a variety of haunted locations um, all over the country. Some known, some not so well known. We still have Waverly Hills to do. That's on our bucket list. And then the residential. Uh, and then the residentials uh, started a few years after we started doing that. And, um, like I said, it just continued to grow, but but the evidence that we have been able to capture um, has significant, significantly grown over the years, and each year brings about new captures and new ways of capturing them, and obviously the name of our paranormal group is Entity Voices, and we named it that because that seems to be our specialty. We can get them to talk, and that uh, that's what made us go with that particular name of, of our paranormal group. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people, uh, EVP is very uh, controversial from time to time, especially when you start getting into spirit boxes, SB7s, SB11s. Uh, my favorite is a digital recorder because I grew up that way. But um, you guys do get some very unique voices, I have to say, from what I've seen. It's uh, hard to do. <laughs> yeah, we we have been lucky in that manner. We have somehow made a connection that well, actually it's not what you call lucky. It's the connection with the spirits. True, and that's what I was about to say is that we've been lucky to to have made that connection. And I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but uh, my wife and I, every time we'd go and investigate, we'd always introduce ourselves. We'd actually give our names. We'd tell them what we were there for, that we weren't there to hurt them or kick them out. We were there just to communicate. And I think over the years of doing that, um, that created some sort of connection with them because we can step into a place we've never stepped foot in before in a different part of the country, and they will literally call out my name. That's that's amazing. I know. I um Class A EVPs are so hard to get. I, I think uh, Octagon Hall was my most recent one, and I brag about it all the time because it was so crystal clear, but that was a, a five- to seven-year gap in between. So to speak to somebody that gets them more regularly, especially when you go through all the loops and you know that you're actually getting an EVP or a communication because so many people don't go through those loops, it's really a neat thing. By the way, we go to Waverly every single year, so you guys are welcome to go with us when we go next year. I'll send you over the information, but um, that we went last awesome. year and the year before. It's it's a wonderful place, and you can never get it all done in one session, which is why we go virtually every year. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that. It's a, it's a huge place, and 
you know, we keep an eye on the things that uh, and the people that go there. Now, they don't they don't let anybody post videos or anything from it for for legal purposes. But. I'll yeah. talk about the experiences they had when they've been there. They're, they're very interesting and there seems to shadow people and other paranormal um, occurrences that may be somewhat unique. So we are all excited about being able to that yeah, it's. Um, I mean, they'll, they'll they'll allow you to do some live streaming. They just don't um, allow you to do a lot of it. And if you're in there videoing, then they're a little bit more sensitive about it. They know you're going to put it together into a project anyway. Right. Um, but uh, um, Tina's had a rough time throughout Waverly. She's had a lot of controversial things. So she's really picky on what you film and what you don't film. Like the walkthroughs never are allowed filmed because – legal purposes there if somebody says right. something and so forth but i think you guys would really enjoy it it's an amazing building i unfortunately haven't got a lot of activity from there which is why i continue to go back we've gotten a handful of things um the body shoot and uh, of course the upper level you'll get a few things but uh it's just so massive you, you never know where it's gonna pop up and win <laughs> true that, that's very true and and paranormal activity isn't isn't something that comes on a regular basis, so exactly. it's important to be in the right place at the right time to capture it. And with Waverly being as big as as it is, it you know that would be a challenge. Yeah, well, Waverly, Ohio State Reformatory, Myrtle Mansion—they're all the same thing. Even though Myrtle's Mansion itself is small, you get a lot of activity outside and around the area too. So uh, it, it's really tough to just go there and even an eight-hour overnight or six-hour overnight because obviously it takes forever to set up equipment if you're going to do anything. Right. Um, it, it's almost impossible to just say, yeah, we're going to tackle the whole thing. So I tend to visit um, Ohio State Reformatory. I visit at least twice a year. And then Waverly we do once a year just because uh, it takes a while to get in there. <laughs> yeah, wow. correct. Right. So – out of your locations, a lot of times, of course, obviously you do EVP, but um, whether what other type of equipment do you take on locations, and why do you choose to take that equipment? Well, again, like you said, because we're unsure of what kind of paranormal activity is going to happen, we literally have just about every device. Well, you carry the whole all of your equipment. <laughs> I do. I, I when we pack to go on a trip, I literally have about eight suitcases full of gear and hard cases and and security cases and so we bring it all and that that includes everything from night vision cameras um complete dvr system recording up to eight cameras we have um flare thermal cameras we have full spectrum cameras we have laser grids we have a skeletal mapping system we have um what am I forgetting? I'm sure tons. Cell phone. Mel meters. We have, yeah, you know, and the funny thing is my wife captures some of the best evidence just strictly from her cell phone. So it's not even a matter of having the fancy equipment. I mean, sometimes something as simple as a cell phone that can record both audio and video is enough to capture a variety of things, which, which some of them that she's captured, I was quite impressed with. Yeah, you know, I've 
learned that, uh, I mean, there are flaws to cell phones when you're taking pictures, but um, I use, I, I carry two with me when I go out on investigations, and we do a lot of portable. We we just created, I shouldn't say we, my partner is the designer. I helped market it. We created a camera. He did most of the creation called NICAM, which is the very first full-on Go um, GoPro equivalent to a night vision portable camera. So we've been testing those for the past two and a half years on top of my Sony AX uh, um, 33 and the 53. And like you said, you just bring so much equipment to uh, a location, but the cell phone becomes useful because it's so portable. And as long as you don't forget it, like a digital recorder, if you, you can just sit that thing there on a continuous loop. Correct. Um, and uh, I've caught some very extraordinary things. Just you wouldn't expect it to be there. <laughs> right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's something I think a lot of investigators don't understand at the very beginning. And um, so they go in and they dive into a lot of the equipment that you and I and everybody out there have had or have at one point or another. But we also know the more we work with that equipment, the more unlikely that equipment is picking up a ghost. Right. Um, when you when you first start out, you really don't need to go out and buy that two or three hundred dollars worth of massive equipment. Um, cell phone, common sense, a digital recorder yep. um, and so forth is really all you need to start your trip, I guess you could say. <laughs> that, that that is so true, and we've tried to explain that to many people too. Is that the the simplest of of equipment can can start you on your journey if if that's the road you wanna wanna go down, and and those objects you just named named are some of the beginning ones to start with. Absolutely, and believe it or not, when I started years ago, I used something that when I bought it, it was a little bit more expensive, but you can go to any Walmart now and get it. Um, and a lot of investigators weren't doing it at the time, but I went out and bought motion sensors, motion sensitive lights, mm -hmm. things along those lines that you could just tack up on a wall and in between areas that would let off a charm if something walked across it. Um, and they're very useful because yep. you get to rule out a lot of things. <laughs> we, we, we have probably six. six motion detectors. We have um, ones that will just detect the motion set off lights we have ones that if you break a beam it'll mm -hmm. set off um a chime we have we, we have a lot of them and you are absolutely correct they are very useful for so many reasons mm -hmm. and we'll when we're doing investigations we'll scatter them throughout the rooms we'll we'll set the one with the beam through a hallway so if anything breaks the hallway we know it's there and then of course there's dvr cameras set up to catch the hopefully see what um, breaks the beam. But you know what? Usually the beam will go off and the DVR will still show nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a I've always been a physical one uh, more than most people anyway. I know a lot of people go to the non-physical, but if you can take something like a motion detector and put it in a room. And um, Joel Myers, which is the partner that worked with NICAM, is working on all kinds of devices with this aspect, and it's a brilliant aspect. If you have something that physically only goes off when something touches it or is in front of it to break that signal, and it still goes off when you have a camera aimed at it for no reason, then that is an anomaly you can't explain. It, exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things we always tell people, because one of the one of the questions we always get is, well, what's your favorite favorite piece of equipment? And, you know, the the reality is, is that there's not a single piece of equipment out there that can 100 percent define, oh, hey, there's a ghost here. And it takes a combination of events from 
a whole array of equipment to really allow you, at least from an equipment standpoint, the evidence to say, okay, there's something here. So that's the other important aspect of it is that not not one piece of equipment, except for maybe an EV, EVP recorder, because if you're getting a voice and you know there's no one else there, that's a pretty good indicator. But But outside of that, you know, all the other pieces of equipment don't 100% define, hey, this there's something here or this place is haunted. You need that combination of events between multiple sets of equipment to be able to put your pieces of that puzzle together. Well, yeah, and if you're anything like like me, I go to extremes or did at one point and I'm developing it now. I, I jumped out of the ghost field for about five or six years and then I'm, I just recently came back in to do the documentaries and stuck to radio for the longest time. Um, but if you're anything like me, I go a little bit deeper. EVPs are great, but I want to know where it's coming from. So now I have three or four static mics set up all over the place with different equipment set up in my software so that I can try to figure out if it's a, a particular variable on a high frequency, a low frequency, the average frequency. Now I'm recording every frequency you can think of just to see if when I get the activity, did it spike here? <laughs> right, right. Well, exactly. And then, but you're also trying to figure out if you have multiple recordings, recorders recording, does it even show up on all of them or does it yep. only show up on one? I mean, we've had that happen many, many times where we're standing right next to each other, both holding a recorder and it only shows up on one. Uh-huh. Yep. And then you have an anomaly because logically it should have showed up on all of them. Um, Correct. And, uh, and it's the same way with a lot of other things. I was explaining that actually in a class a week and a half ago when people said, well, how – you know as well as I do, a lot of people define ghosts and then you have elementals and then you have demons and you have angels. They define all this other stuff, and the question came up when I was sitting in a classroom. Well, how would you even attempt to try to pr- prove if it's – if they're close to the elements and it's a ghost or if it's an elemental or so forth? I said that's an excellent question. The first thing you got to do is get yourself a thermal rod reader, and then you got to connect it to your software. Well, what does that mean? Okay, well, I have a bunch of metal rods. I plug them into a computer system. I stick them in the ground. I stick them in the water. Hey, if that spikes when something's happening, bam, I got proof that something is going on. <laughs> Very true. It's uh, I, I'm a technical geek. As you, guys are <laughs> you know, but that that that's a huge plus, though, when when investigations are happening and you're trying to prove not only that it's happening, but how it's happening. And. You know, those characteristics of somebody who's got that scientific background and can put those theories into practical experimentation. I mean, those are huge pluses. Yeah, well, I started off my research. um, I I had a haunted experience. I grew up in a haunted house. I had some very graphic things happen. I had some semi-famous investigators come in that I don't talk about a lot, but I'm finally comfortable with talking about it more than I used to be. Um, And when I started off that journey, I wanted to find out what happened to me because at first I thought it was insane. Found out I wasn't insane. So what is this? So I started picking the brains of every college university as opposed to investigators when I first came out because I was young and back then it was a it's just a thing you didn't talk about. Right. right. They were people were more able to talk about UFOs because of the UFO specials than hey, you have a ghost in your home. <laughs> right. No, I'm I'm sure. And it, so much has changed today with the openness of it. But but yeah, years ago it was a it was a hush hush subject. 
Yeah, it really was. And then, of course, you you start digging into the universities and you get the scientific explanations of, well, maybe it's not a ghost, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. But what fascinated me was a lot of people always say that science and the paranormal doesn't exist. But what I found was even the scientists that don't believe quite the way the non-skeptical person believes, they're still fascinated with the paranormal. They still want the same answers we do. You know, that that is absolutely the truth. And as I was explaining before how we got into this, my father is a physicist, chemist, and uh, physical science teacher. And, you know, and when I was growing up, everything was science-based. And if I couldn't explain it was science, it didn't exist. So when Cherie started showing me this evidence we had captured that very first evening, I mean, I was blown away for weeks. But But like you just said... Now today, after years of us posting what we've captured and showing the paranormal evidence that we run into on a regular basis, my father is now coming to me saying, okay, explain to me how this works. How does this happen? And, you know, he'll say things like, okay, if, if this person got pushed and there's no physical hand and objects transfer energy to another object, how did that person get pushed? I'm like, well, it's just energy. There is no beginning object. It's just energy to matter. And he's like, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is fascinating when you run into situations that you can't physically explain, um, and I've met a lot of scientists or had the privilege of meeting a lot of scientists now that that uh, they'll take it a little bit further, quantum physics and so forth, which fascinates my brain. It, it It's way over my head when they talk to me about it, but it still fascinates me. <laughs> right, right. So um, let's get into a little bit more about uh, – uh, we, we've talked a little bit about how both of you operate, but we really haven't talked much about your philosophies involved in operating. So let's talk about what you think ghosts are, what you think about uh, what people determine about good and evil, how often you've ran into the differences and contrary to beliefs that we see in media, things along those lines. Because I think it's very important for listeners to understand that investigation is a lot different than what you regularly see on TV, even though we've all – we all aspire to somebody saying, hey, let's get you a TV show from time to time because that's just nice to have, and we all put videos out there. It's a lot different than portrayed on some of the shows, and even though they're great guys. I love every one of them. They're all good friends of mine, but that's beside the point. <laughs> well, I, we will not doubt that at all, and we completely agree. What you see on the television shows is is very different from any real-life experience. Now, there are some similarities, but it doesn't happen the way they show it on TV. You don't walk in and get instant results. I mean, you can spend you can spend an entire night, you can spend multiple nights and not get catch anything. So it 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 takes patience. It takes um, commitment. It takes that desire to to truly catch that information. But for Sheree and I, I mean, it's a passion. It's a passion to not only um, try to understand what is happening on the paranormal side, but also to help, you know, the paranormal community when questions come up and we love to educate and explain what we do and how we do it. The history of the place. Right. And, you know, I I hated history in in high school, but now I love it. I mean, (laughs) I have a reason to learn the history. And 
we recently opened the um, Copper Canyon Paranormal Research Center, which is one of the first research centers in all of the Southwest. But it was the old Phelps Dodge Hospital, which was featured on Ghost Adventures. And we got an opportunity to go in there for about a four-hour nightly investigation. And we walked out of there just absolutely stunned. Mm -hmm. In those four hours, we had caught better evidence than we had caught in eight years. And so we negotiated with uh, the owner to partner with us and open it up as a paranormal research center. So paranormal researchers from across the country or even the world can come and spend a 10-hour night going through this 29,000 square foot 1919 hospital. And it's it, it's an amazing place. It's a mini Waver, Waverly It's Hill. a mini Waverly Hills, right. Sounds like an amazing place. I, I, I love hospitals anyway. I mean, yeah. Waverly obviously is a well-known one and, and vastly open, but um, St. Joseph's is a wonderful hospital. We're going to be going into one this summer that's not as well-known. Um, hopefully, I won't give the name yet because they don't have it opened up that's an asylum, but uh, it's always fascinating because they have such a history, and you know that people have passed there or were there with illnesses in the first place. Um, so the odds of getting something, especially if it's not massively touched, are incredibly larger. <laughs> exactly. And this place sat vacant for the last 38 years. That's really cool. Yeah. But, but to, to go back to your original question about you know the differences and how we interpret the different types of spirits, I mean, we, we definitely know that there are a handful of different types. And, you know, it, it's very funny when, well, it's funny to us now, it may not have been in the beginning, but the second something that can't be explained um, to the normal everyday person when they experience that, the first thought instantly that goes through their head is, oh, this is demonic. Mm -hmm. and, and I blame TV for that because, you know, TV has swayed that direction the last five, six, eight years, where if it's not demonic, nobody wants to watch it. But not every, not 99% of it is not demonic. I think in eight years, we've come across one for sure, and possibly one we just did last week. Um, but other than that, none of the things we've experienced are demonic, but they were human spirits. Some of them nice, some of them mean, but human spirits not demonic not elemental human spirit well i think that's important for um listeners to understand um having the great privilege of speaking to some of the people from the roman catholic church overseas um and some of the other people around um i have learned that the demonic is not only not as regular as most people think, but not quite as portrayed, though things like possession can happen. Um, it's very, very rare, and most of the explanations that I get from people that say that they deal with it on a regular basis, even though they don't deal with it on a regular basis, and they admit that too because it's not as regular as people think, Right. those type of things work on a bit of a different level than a ghost or something else. They have kind of a larger puzzle, so to speak, that they manipulate in most cases. <laughs> that's, that's very true, and – and the individual's circumstances and mental mood and whether they're happy or depressed, that all plays 
plays a part in when that demonic can actually come in and take a hold. And then you've got the difference between what people consider to be possession versus op- oppression versus, you know, all the other aspects and stages of it. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, that's uh, TV. It sells. I guess that's the easiest way to explain it. If you're if you're talking about a demon, people get scared when they're watching TV. They're more likely to watch you. So the word demon gets slung around like candy. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly correct. Um, but you do have angry ghosts, um, and there's a big difference between them. But they they can get pretty verbal themselves. Yes, they yes, can. They yes, can. they can. They can. Um, I. I been i think i've been pushed down the steps um i've been thrown across the room believe it or not and had many many things thrown at me and not once was that actually something you could consider demonic it was just something that was kind of pissed off i was there right (laughs) and 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 same thing i've been pushed scratched slapped um what am i missing oh yeah touched shoved um all sorts of of physical interaction and but all from human spirits i mean objects have been pushed shoved um but yeah that does not that does not define something as demonic and in fact and then you can get into the whole poltergeist theory where it's not even necessarily a ghost at all it's energy being portrayed from from an actual human being and that can create those same circumstances of objects moving doors opening slamming all sorts of stuff so so yeah Part of the whole investigation process is figuring out what is occurring, where it's occurring from, and then, of course, what type of paranormal activity it is. Yeah, and then hopefully being able to resolve the issue after that. So especially in residential and commercial situations, you just kind of record the data, the events, and try to put two and two together. And a lot of times they already have a history if you're at a location, so you already know what you're looking for. Um especially if they've been overdone. But when you're at a residential situation, it becomes more about the residents. So once you figure out all of that, you have to also kind of figure out how to weigh that with the residents and really be, how would you put that? Really be uh, kind to their needs. Attentive. I was going to say attentive to their needs. And that's one of the first things we ask when we do a residential is what is it that you want to happen? Because, I mean, there's times where we've noticed that they are, human spirits and not nasty at all. And in fact, sometimes they're hanging around for positive reasons. So we always, we always explain to them that, you know, there's a variety of spirits that could be there for good or bad reasons. And then we explain that if we were to do a cleansing or a blessing of the house, that it will eliminate those spirits. And are you sure you want to eliminate something that could actually be a positive factor? Well, a lot of times what I I explain with uh, blessings and cleansings and so forth is, you know, people get the wrong understanding from those a lot of times, too. They think somebody will come in and bless a home and you can just 100 percent remove something if it wants to go. No. And and that's (laughs) – yeah, as you know, that's not the case. But if the family is comfortable with that, it gives them the comfort to move on. They're positively believing that this is going to work and everything meshes together. Then it's good for the residents and in turn gives them the feeling and power that they need to understand that these things do not control their life. Right. Exactly. Uh, And that's the most important is for them to have that 
ability to stand up and and take control of what's happening and that's that's one of the biggest parts of the battle well exactly and that uh, coming from a historic standpoint, that's what blessings were originally for in the first place. They were to bless the home to make you feel good about a home, bless the home for a child that was about to be born so that positive things could happen, bless the property so that crops would grow. Right. Uh, you know, there are thousands of different types of blessings and and um, spiritual removals and so forth, but they were all designed for the individual to have more positive belief in the situation. And belief is a big thing. My faith guides me everywhere I go. When I go out into an investigation, even when I did residential, I say things that people, they kind of shake their head at. But um, And feel free to shake your head too when I say this, but I know no matter where I go, no matter what I do, that none of these things can harm me unless I allow them to do it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to get pushed. That doesn't mean I may not get a bruise or two. But if you think at the, about the larger picture, um, a bruise or two or a push is not really harming you. It's when you get fear, when you allow them to open up and cause fear, when you do all of these things that people portray in the movies, then you're more inept to run into situations you don't want to be in. And my faith kind of keeps me strong there so to speak so i never worry about the demonic situations i know when to hand it off obviously um and i know that there are dangers involved but i'm the guy that runs headstrong when everybody else turns around and runs away <laughs> well you, you know I, I don't disagree with that at all because it, it is that faith and it is that belief that um you know they can't hurt you um if you if you believe in if that's your theory of belief and the things that they do are only there to cause fear and to cause you to become upset, which then strengthens them and weakens you. So everything you said to us makes perfect sense because that's exactly how it works. Well, that's that's why uh, teams do prayers and they do certain rituals before they go in and so forth because it's going to make them comfortable in, in their faith and their belief that they're protected. Um I have a, a weird ritual. In fact, you'd laugh your butt off about it. I don't bother with any <laughs> prayers. I don't bother with any of that. I just walk up to the door, shake my hands three or four times and say, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? It, I, I don't think it really matters what the what the actions are or whether there are prayers involved. But it's that it's that personal um experience of doing whatever it is that you do to, to build that confidence. That's what, that's where the, the, the true protection comes from because you've done what's right for you to make you feel secure and know you're going in to do something that could be dangerous. And it's giving you that confidence that, okay, I'm not going to be harmed and I'm not going to be hurt. And it, it doesn't really matter whether you're holding a blessed cross or whether you're, but it's whatever that ritual is for you that says, okay, I'm safe. I'm going in. And now, with that said, um, I ask a lot of my uh, first-time guests, and you can feel free to give any opinion that you want on this. What are your feelings on Ouija boards? You want to answer that? <laughs> so, James said, "Don't." James said, <laughs> "James Kirchbaum said, don't touch it." Well, don't touch it. you know, don't even don't even think about you know touching it or <laughs> opening it because. 
We um actually Tony um had something of a Ouija board and it was in our door and I said what is this when I opened it it was a Ouija board. Yeah, you know what the, the thing about Ouija boards to me though is that they're they're really no different than any other device. I mean, if you're if you're doing EVPs and you're trying to capture spirit voices or you're using uh, a portal box to actually have the communication come in directly or whether you're using dowsing rods or whatever device you're using to me um there's no difference you are making contact you are reaching out to another side you are opening doors and portals to allow that communication to happen why one device would be stronger than any other that doesn't make any sense to me because the Ouija boards maybe been around for centuries. Does that make it more powerful? It could maybe, but for me personally, it's no different than any other item in the toolbox. I'm kind of the same way. Ed, and I, I express that a lot of times when people ask me um, years ago now, I did a study with Ohio State Reformatory, Michigan State University, um, and Bowling Green University, and we actually tested roughly about 2,300 to 2,900 Ouija boards in different environments from haunted locations to isolated locations and so forth. And it's ironic that most of the time when you got a negative reaction, it was because of the environment you created for that negative reaction. You could take a group of 10 or 11 people. And you could sit them in a room for four hours before they do a Ouija session, and you could put a TV on, and you could play haunted stuff over and over and over again that had uh, terrible things in it, you know, haunted stories, all that other right. stuff, which was scary. You'd put them in a room with a Ouija board, and guess what would happen? Terrible things. People would get scared. You could take a group of people, put them in a positive room, play all positive stuff, great music, give them food, everybody's happy, put them in a room with a Ouija board, and positive things would happen. Um, yep. And I, I express to everybody throughout the process that I've learned is a tool is a tool. And really a Ouija board is no different than when you're walking in there with a recorder. You're asking the same questions. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're and you're opening the same doors and the same portals to allow that energy to come through and interact with it so yeah i to me I, I don't see why it would be any different yeah and it's not you know the reality is if you've got a big bad there the big bad wants to bite the big bad's going to bite no matter how you do it right um, if you don't have one then the big bad's not going to bite and and 99 of the time like you said or there's above not. yeah there's no big bad <laughs> no that that's very true and and i think that's part of what you know, the television has just so portrayed in the in the wrong direction. And and I, I see this online. I'm sure you do, too. But I mean, people see a piece of dust float by the screen and instantly their house is possessed and they need uh, they need an exorcism and there there's ghosts <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, no, that's that's dust. <laughs> well, the other thing that always annoys me and, and God bless him, I won't say his name because I have had the privilege of working with him a long time ago and I've met him once and he's a good guy. But um, the term 57 demons in one home or even five or six demons in one home. Come on now, let's do some common sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's way excessive. Yeah, it, it just doesn't quite work that way, so to speak. Uh, but 
you see a lot on social media, and I'm actually glad you brought up social media a little bit because social media has its positive events, obviously, and we won't discuss much of the negative events, but uh, it has portrayed a light on the paranormal that uh, has been rough on us all. It, it has. It has. And uh, a part of that is the consistency of skeptic versus non-skeptic. Um, a lot of people coming into it these days don't understand that when you start off, you don't have a training manual. It's not like we go to school for this stuff. Nope. <laughs> There's no certification. Yeah. We don't get paid for it. It's exactly. it's it's all it's all personal interests and personal determin determination to find out answers because there's there's no rule book. Uh, and you learn as you go. Yep. Um, and uh, I say a quote that people laugh at all the time, but I've been doing this for 23 years now, and you know what? After the first five years, I realized right on the fifth year, actually, I'm doing this all wrong. <laughs> that can happen. That can happen. Same thing with us. Yeah, that can happen. Uh, dust. The dust. Yeah. Remember, I when we first started about I don't know three four months into it, right. we posted this video that I thought for sure was We're so excited was an, was this the best orb capture in the world, and I it was one of the first posts years and years and years ago I ever put out, and somebody responded and goes that's dust, and you know I tried to that dust doesn't move like that, and, and I guess I what we were wrong. It was dust. <laughs> and then so you got to take embarrassing. The, well, and you got to take the next five years trying to figure out how to do it right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, so now you got 10 years invested in it where you can finally say, okay, I get it. Yeah. And, and it does, but it, but there is no manual. It's not like you're going to sit down and a couple hours later have everything you need to, to go out and, and, and accomplish it. I mean, it is a learning experience and it is a learning experience each and every time. And that never quits. Um, and for every answer you get, there's a hundred more questions that come from that answer. So it's, it's an, it's a never ending process and it's a, it's a never ending experimentation and research and, and you learn from other people also. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And that's one of the best yeah. things about the social media is that it, it allows us to share with people across the country or across the world. And you can learn from that. Right. But like Chris said, there's some negatives to it too. And there's, you know, there's competition amongst the community and they they don't want to share stuff. And to, to us, that's just a shame. We that's put out bad. everything that we can and we don't care who knows where it was captured or what we use. People ask me all the time, what do you use? How does that work? Did you build that? How did you build it? We share it because the more people that can use it and learn from it and duplicate our results only helps prove what we're trying to say we captured. So, Well, that's something that a lot of people today have forgotten that was a part of the original paranormal community before parapsychology and so forth left in the United States is data is key. And today there's so much competition in the paranormal world, but the reality is in order to try to come with, up with a basis of anything, you have to have collected data. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, the more we share, the more we collect together, the more we isolate it and say, that happened to me, 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 and it adds up. It's not an isolated incident anymore. Right. <laughs> well, and it's the same thing what I was explaining about, about the equipment we use because none of it is 100% to identify, hey, there's something going on here. So you use multiple pieces of equipment to give you little fractions of that data to be able to put together. Well, it's the same thing with the community. When you can duplicate those results or get similar experiences at same locations 
from a, a diverse amount of people using different methods and that that's what gives you the proof to say okay this is legitimate there's something happening here and and we can prove it through multiple occurrences well, we do that quite a lot in, in, in the teaching environment. That One of the things that I was taught from one of my mentors a long time ago um, was correlation in data is very, very important. So even when I'm doing EVP and I'm talking to people out in the field, a lot of times if somebody's got an SB7 or an SB11 out and they go, oh, I got a, I got a voice. Okay, you want to see if you're actually getting correlated data because I'm an audio, I have an audio background. Those things can fool you. What you need to do is let's put an SB7 over here, an SB11 over here in a different frequency. Let's put a digital recorder over here, a digital recorder over here. Let's run three cameras. Now, if you're getting communication from that device and you ask it to move over to that device and you get the exact same communication and the recorder over there you tell it to speak into and later you get it from that recorder and then you tell them to walk in front of the camera and you've got something walking in front of the camera, well, you've got a little bit more than one anomaly. <laughs> true very true so at least that way you can correlate the data together and say hey look i don't know what i have but by god it all showed up <laughs> true although from from our experience getting a, a paranormal experience <laughs> to duplicate itself on a scientific method three times by th what is what's the method three three times duplicated three times or something like that but i mean that's hard to do that three is definitely three. hard to do. It is. I have had the privilege, believe it or not, of doing it at Ohio State Reformatory on my last visit, which surprised the crap out of me. Wow. Um, yeah, it, we, we had the great privilege of going down into an area in the basement where most people don't go, but we got to go there once before while we were filming with uh, Paranormal Journeys into the Unknown. So they allowed us to go in there again into that particular area. And we got correlating data around the area. I placed a digital recorder in several areas, and we went into the tunnel to set up a, uh, a unique app that we were testing. Um, and we got correlating data, and it actually moved from the app to the EVP recorder back to the app when asked. <laughs> wow, that's, that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, so it, it can be done, but the reality of getting that to repeat itself twice, good luck. Right. Right. Yep. Well, that's where that's where it gets hard. But but that's the difference between, you know, the scientific methodology that deals with the the circumstances that surround our human life here on Earth and what we're calling the paranormal. I mean, it's called paranormal because it's above and beyond normal and not all scientific method applies to it. So those well, are the challenges. I um I love to use this definition. I had a uh a professor at Ohio State Reformatory, the first time that he said this, it made sense. He said, technically, all science falls into paranormal. And I said, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Because my definition is similar to what you just said when, when describing the paranormal. He said, if you look up the definition of paranormal, what does it mean? And then he explained, it means all things not able to be explained by science as of yet. Right, right. And he said, now, you got to understand when you look at that term, the atom bomb was paranormal. Space travel was paranormal. Even what the Wright brothers did until it was solved was paranormal. None no, of this stuff very was true. explained. That's very true. So once he said that, I'm like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, science of science evolves, and I mean that I've even seen articles, you know, come out in the last year, year and a half that's saying that, you know, now scientists say the soul does not die and that it does survive and there's scientific evidence to to uh 
to show that. So, you know, science evolves. So there's no doubt about it. Well, the latest evolution that I've been fascinated with, and it's just came up in the past four or five years, is quantum physicists and scientists actually believe. Now, they believe this for a while in the neutrons and protons and so forth, but now they believe that everything, the universe, other dimensions, space, what we define as time, everything is connected. Right. Now, it took how long for them to come up with this when we were discussing that in the paranormal for years? <laughs> <laughs> a long time, but, but they, used, they used different sources of, of matter to be able to, to build their proof structure, and that's the difference between somebody on the paranormal side. You know, we, we do take some, um, some, what's the word I'm looking for, um, liberal chances and and we put theories together not based necessarily sometimes on strong scientific evidence um but it allows us to you know to have that open mind to be able to try to determine well now we can push that back to science and let them put together the actual scientific method of that being possible and so having having that balance of people who are scientific minded and paranormal minded working together that's when it really comes together and it's good to see that it's starting to open up like that. And a lot, for many years, it was just UFOs. <laughs> right. right. That's true. That's very true. But I am glad to see that scientists are getting more fascinated in trying to explain what a ghost is. Because reality is, we believe we know what it is, but we can't really define it. We, we, we say that a ghost is a, a spirit that's passed on and maybe needs closure or whatever that is. But we really haven't got to the point to where we can say 100% proof positive outside of what we think is going on. Yes, this is your dead relative. <laughs> well, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, it doesn't matter what profession or what industry somebody's in. When you, when you just randomly start talking about, you know, some sort of paranormal event, no matter who they are, somebody's, everybody's got a story, maybe not an answer. But everybody's had some kind of experience. I think there's maybe only a handful of people in my entire lifetime that's ever said, no, I've never seen anything. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I haven't ran into hardly that many either, to be honest with you. Everybody's got some sort of experience in the paranormal in general, especially whether it's a UFO, a sighting of Bigfoot or a cryptid yep. or a ghost itself. You, you always get those stories. <laughs> No, that's that's true. And that's 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 the amazing part is, like I said, no matter I mean, even whether they're a believer or non-believer, if you start talking about it just in a very laid back sense, all of a sudden they'll be like, well, I had that. And you're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Where did that come from? Well, it's amazing now because the one thing that TV and social media has done is opened people up. So you can be out at a bar before an investigation or a restaurant before an investigation grabbing a bite to eat because you know you're going to be on your feet for the next seven hours. And the waitress see a, your shirt. Um, <laughs> yep. And now they're just carrying on a conversation about how they saw their grandma's ghost. <laughs> that, that happens all the time. Usually it's I'm wearing the hat and people are like, hmm, so you uh, – you're an investigator. Hey, I got to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that happens. But that's great because it 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 allows those stories to come out. It makes people feel comfortable enough to share them. And it it provides that sense that, you know, this this isn't a joke and we, we don't do this just for 
for comedy or for TV or for we, we do this because there's a real interest in it. And this stuff really does occur on a day to day basis. And whether it be just normal paranormal activity or whether it be, you know, something of a stronger nature or a, or a more demonic nature. But but the normal paranormal activity happens on a daily basis. And it's good to be able to talk about that and let other people talk about it. And so that that's social media has helped with that a lot. Yep, it has definitely. Well, I know we're actually down to roughly about our last nine or ten minutes of the show, so I think it's very important we start discussing where the listeners can find you, what you have that you want to address that's coming up here soon or in the summer, so that we can kind of get an idea of, hey, I want to see these guys. Where are they at? Absolutely. Um, Of course, we are Entity Voices Paranormal Investigations. We are located in Phoenix, Arizona. The easiest way to find us would be on our website, which is www.entityvoices.com. We also have a Facebook page, which is also under Entity Voices, or you can look on my personal page, which is under Tony Rathman. The other site you may want to take a look at, especially if you are an investigator or part of an investigation group and you're looking for a place for a fantastic 10-hour overnight investigation without any outside noises, influences, people around. It's only the group that books it, but is the Copper Canyon Paranormal Research Center. This was the old Phelps Dodge Hospital, and the building has had a history of being haunted for years, and after 38 years of sitting empty, we were able to open it up and allow investigators to come. You can Reach that site at www.coppercanyonprc.com. That's awesome. You're probably going to be hearing from us somewhere along the line so that we can actually uh, pop in and take a look. I think that would be a wonderful place. I looked at some of the pictures. Um, I think you mentioned it at one point online, and uh, I looked at some of the pictures. It looked fascinating. (laughs) It's an amazing place, and it's, uh, you know, for – There aren't a lot of old buildings in Arizona and especially Phoenix. I mean, anything gets over 40, 50 years old, becomes run down, they rip it down, replace it immediately. But in this small town of Ajo, this building has stood the the test of time and uh, it's brought kept the paranormal activity with it. And it's it's an it's an adventure. I'll say that for sure. Well, listeners, you're listening to BBS Radio. Just so that you know, BBS Radio is one of the largest digital radio stations in America. They are now a part of iHeart in many, many different areas. So if you're planning on doing a podcast or just getting into the digital radio business, I do encourage you to go with the best. Get a hold of Donald and his brother. They're great guys. They'll take very good care of you. Another quick announcement just so that you're aware, WCGT Radio, Paranormal Truth and Reality, GhostSite.com, and LPOD, which is a new concept in cons where you as a team or an individual can choose your shirt and get it printed before the end of your convention so that your team has new shirts will be located in Bryan, Ohio this weekend. I do encourage you to come up to Bryan if you have a chance. We're going to be hanging out with the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. Great bunch of guys. I've met them several times now. They're awesome. Um, You have been listening to uh, two very wonderful people that uh, we just went over everything, so I won't go over it again, but I do encourage you to go over their website next week on Paranormal Truth and Reality. We have got the great privilege of having another wonderful guest on. I do encourage you to actually tune in every week, obviously, Friday night at 8 p.m. And uh, guys, do you have anything that you want to close with so that the, you want to really leave with the listeners? 
I think we covered just about everything, Chris, but wanted to definitely say thank you to everyone out there who is listening or gets a chance to listen in the near future, but appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Um, you know, I've seen the things you've done as well and, you know, amazed with it. So it was really nice to be able to get this opportunity to communicate with you as well and to all the listeners out there that are hopefully listening to uh, to what we had to say tonight. Absolutely. And I'll shoot you guys over some information when we're doing Waverly this year. And when I go back up to Ohio State Reformatory, you guys are more than welcome to tag along if you're in the area and come up. I'd love to have you as a part of the um, guest teams, I guess. I usually have both locations are so big, I usually at least bring in about seven to eight people minimum because it, there's plenty of room for everybody to go wherever they want. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we would love that. Definitely let us know when you're going to do that because we would we would definitely love to to be able to be there. Well, that's our show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to end this show the way I do every single week. And, of course, it's obviously a tagline for those of you that have listened to me now and hopefully forever as long as we're on the radio. In the paranormal, truth should always be that reality you're looking for. You had the wonderful privilege of talking to some great investigators tonight. They shared some very good points, points that not only new investigators can look at, but senior investigators as well because we're always learning on a continuous process. And remember that reality is key. Regardless of whatever we run into, whether it be social media, life, competitors, and so forth, we not only all can get along in the field, but we can learn from each other. We'll let you off of here. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.